You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Kiwi actor Lee Donoghue was born and raised in Lower Hutt until moving to Auckland to pursue his acting career. After landing a lead role on Shortland Street, Lee utilised his public profile to become involved in various charity work, including for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and the Television 3 Telethon. Lee travelled overseas to pursue his acting career further and eventually felt that this industry and the media had been hijacked by an anti-democratic agenda. This has led him home to represent New Zealand first in the upcoming election, to safeguard the fundamental values of democracy and sovereignty in our country. He joins me now. Welcome to The Crunch, Lee. Good to have you on. Thank you, Cam. It's so nice to be here with you. Now, I have to make a confession, Lee, that uh, many, many years ago, uh, I was a Shortland Street viewer. And, uh, you know, I lived in Wellington at the time. And I was getting a bit te- it was getting a bit tedious for me then. And so I decided that seeing as it was coming up to Easter, that I'd give up Shortland Street for Lent. And uh, I haven't watched it since. And so I didn't really catch your performances. <laughs> what a shame. What a shame. You missed out <laughs> just when it was getting good. I, uh, you know, I'm I'm honoured to to have a couple of things that are kind of standouts on Shorty Street um, while I was there. One of them was being one of very few actors to have my my uh, back end shown on, on TV at <laughs> 7 o'clock, running around. That was quite fun. And then yeah. uh, usually the credits roll with the Shortland Street theme song. But um, one episode I, I was involved with a big kind of storyline breakup, and so they used um, Anchor Me by the Mutton Birds uh as the credits rolled which is pretty cool oh it's a it's a great song maybe we'll uh slot that into into the show uh i'll get the producer onto it while we're speaking and <laughs> they can they can chuck that in and uh we can have have a listen to that and everyone can bring back the fond memories of you on shortland street sure sure now you uh you took off to the u.s didn't you and uh we're having a go up in the u.s with your acting career yes um, what did you discover when you were up there? Um, yeah, great question because, you know, it's quite funny. Some of these meet the candidates that I'm going to, you know, some of the politicians, they scoff and they laugh. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, moving overseas and having world life real experiences is not really anything to scoff at, you know. It's kind of like going from university to a government job to going into parliament and not really living in the real world is something that I would scoff at. Um, So would I. So would I. uh, And, you know, uh, moving out of your comfort zone and challenging yourself and facing your, you know, your fears is something that I would, I would go, Hey, you know, kudos to you or anyone else doing something like that. But moving to California and, and, playing in the big leagues and, and doing all that, I had an amazing opportunity. Um, Shortland Street was uh, was so nice to me at the time when we were negotiating. So every every year you you negotiate another contract. So it's a year-by-year year process. Yeah. And I was studying with some amazing acting coaches in the United States, Larry Moss, Susan Batson, uh, Margie Haber, in New York and LA. And I came back and they left my negotiations super late for me. It was very, very nice. They basically let me do whatever I wanted to do. They yep. did tell me that they wanted me to stay on the show long term, 
Um, but I had this opportunity to move to LA. I had, uh, you know, the pop star Beyonce, her agent um, uh, from ICM Partners uh, meet with me in LA and uh, and she, me and her just clicked and she said to me, I want you here. I want you here now. You need to get out of that show and we're going to make a great team. So I did. And it was really scary. And it was like, holy moly, this is really happening. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, moving to California and getting there, you know, late at night and it's a weird old world over there. You know, it's <laughs> not it's not Auckland or, or Wellington. You're in a totally different world. So I remember hiring this car when I flew in and driving down the freeway, the 405 from the airport. Yeah. And the freeways there are so different to, to, to our motorways. They have the, they're made out of concrete and they have these big joining kind of sections. And I was driving down, you know, late at night and I'm thinking, holy moly, I'm on the other side of the road. Everything's, you know, kind of crazy. And I hear this dig, 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 dig. And I think, oh, I've got a flat tire. It's uh, the road. But it's just the road. It's just the way the roads are there. It's kind of, everything's different. Um, but yeah, look, um, love acting, love the industry, um, have some amazing uh, memories and experiences over there um, and worked on some some great gigs. But yeah, it, it's very eye-opening. It's I knew something, look, it's, it's like the old saying, right? Never meet your heroes, you'll just be disappointed. And I think there was a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I sit there watching shows on television and usually within about and, and like I don't watch lineal television. I stream everything. So, you know, I've got I've got oh. all the all the streaming platforms. Mm. But I'd noticed over the last few years this woke culture being infecting everything, you know, where you've been watching a show, it's fantastic storyline. You're into say the third or fourth season, and then all of a sudden they're assaulting you with what seem to be sexual references to everything, people's relationships, yeah. uh, that's far outside of of society representation. You know, there's a heavy uh, influence of uh, LGBTQ relationships, a uh, huge amount of trans relationships. And it's got to the point where if something pops up in the show now, it's not that it disgusts me or anything like that. It just annoys me that I'm being propagandized by television, movies, and the media in general, so that I just switch it off and I go and find something that, that hasn't got that nonsense in it. Yeah, usually from something from a few years ago. I, yeah. um, You know, isn't it funny how far we've come? You know, I mean going into the political arena and doing this, you know, I thought, gee, I better go back on my Facebook and I better go back on these things. <laughs> and I better just, you know, and some candidates have gotten trouble over, over this, right? And and I and I just, the world was a different place. I mean, you go back to 2008, 2010, mm. and even some friends of mine, um, some of the things they put on your page, you know, just trying to be funny. And some of them aren't blokes some of them are girls you know yeah. some of the stuff's horrendous and you're like holy moly like people would never even think about doing stuff like that these days but in terms of watching tv shows and being propagandized yes um i realize that hollywood is the tip of the spear when it comes to driving far left radical ideology and it's all one-way traffic so and i remember having little facebook rants with people and stuff like that about it when um, you know, period pieces, for example, mm. you, can't, you can't just tell a story and it's all one way traffic. So if you have a, a story that's an American story or a European story, it's now cast 
by a multinational cast, right? Yeah, yeah. And some and look, I, I'm not against that, but um, you had that movie, The Great Wall, I think it was called, and it was a co-production with um, China and the United States, and they put Matt Damon in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, to kind of draw in the American crowd and try and make the Chinese movie industry go mainstream in America and you know and I and I totally understood well all my friends in New Zealand at the time were saying that this is a story about the great wall and you know it's whitewashed and this is um whitewashing and all this kind of thing and they were just totally anti it and you know it's kind of strange isn't it where you have you do a Shakespeare play in Auckland and you have all kinds of cast members you have Samoan cast members Maori yep. cast members Asian cast members but with Kapahaka, you you never have any any other you know ethnicities apart from Maori people, mm. and um, it's just one way traffic. And I think the great thing about being involved with a party like New Zealand First is that we're just not going to eat these bulldust sandwiches like everybody else, you know. And yeah. giving people the permission to actually say, "Yeah, we've had enough," you know, we want everyone treated the same. We don't want one rule for me and one rule for thee, you know. And um, and I was – look, politics takes you all over and you mix with a, more, a, a greater variety of people than you do even in the film industry. Yeah. And what I mean by that, I I was um, at the local mosque here in Lower Hutt and we were chatting with the folks after they came out of their prayer meeting and – there were these lovely ladies there and we were talking and they were the mosque community and the Muslim community were right behind us where New Zealand first sits on gender ideology and, and removing it from schools and protecting women's spaces and women's sports. Yep. And, and I said, well, the other thing too, you know what, we're more than just that. I said, the party is also about treating everyone equally and we want, and all this, and one of the Muslim women there said, oh, but you know, it's, um, it's the it's um, Maori people's country, so you know. And I said, it's all of our country. It's your country. It's my country. And yeah, all of a sudden, exactly. she she propped up. Her body position changed, and she said, "Yes, I've been here twenty five years." And she pointed to the car, and she said, "That's my son. He was born in this country. He loves this country. This is our country." And her friend said, "Yeah, that's right. It's my country too." And it's just that little bit of just you know, encouragement that people need where they just go, why am I putting up with this? And I think that's the most rewarding thing with politics or getting in the political arena is being able to empower people, right? Well, and and, and they'll listen as well, and that's using your position as a candidate, uh, you know, and your uh, stardom, for want of a better term, to provide a positive change to society and all too often we see the news, uh, we see the, the entertainment industry beating us down with yeah. these cudgels that we we have wrong think and there's a right way of thinking and it's this way and, you know, it, it, it's pervasive. It's mostly about social issues. It's also about climate change. You know, all these disaster movies uh, portraying yeah. the end of the world um, from climate change and things like that and it's just not going to happen and it's not believable, and it's it's about as believable as Netflix's, um, you know, black actor playing Cleopatra, who was Greek. You know, there's no there's no arguments about this in history about who or what Cleopatra was, but 
the entertainment industry is now telling us all that Cleopatra was a black woman. Well, she wasn't. And so it's beyond credibility, but it's pervasive. And it's just like this constant dripping tap uh, telling us all, we're all wrong. And it, they're actually gaslighting us all. Yes. And you're one of the few voices in the entertainment industry that's saying, well, no, actually, they are gaslighting you. Oh, they yeah. are telling you all thing. of this. Well, it's the same thing, mate, when, you know, people are tearing down statues and things like that and trying to erase history and rewrite history and, um, you know, and look, it's, it's, um, they're using our own culture against us. It's kind of strange. It's, um, we're all being manipulated and kind of emotionally herded in mm. one direction to kind of just give up the ghost, right? And let them do whatever they want. And it's not really about right or wrong or, you know, what culture wins or anything like that. It's more about just power. You know, they just want, um, from what I see, you know, like look at all the stuff that's happening. It's only happening to select countries, you know, New Zealand being one of them. Yeah. You look at Canada, you look at New Zealand, you look at Australia, you look at the UK, uh, France. Um, it's all Western nations. And it's not happening in Hungary, is it? It's not happening in Poland. No, no. They, they just say, no, we're not having this nonsense. Mm -hmm. See you later. Yeah, and when they stand up to it, then they get threatened um, mm. by the powers that be. Um, and that's what I'm so happy about, you know, being a part of New Zealand First. That's a uh, patriotic kind of, you know, nationalistic-focused uh, party, which is like, hang on here. We're not going to be told what to do by unelected uh, globalist organisations. Mm. Um, and we're a huge believer in the democratic process. You know, um, one of the things that comes up many times and that I've spoken on at Parliament um, not that long ago um, regarding tourism. We were privy to the government's plans for the industry. And every time they mention New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand. And mm -hmm. I stood up when it was my turn. And uh, and I said, because it was the tourism, um, you know, panel, I thought I'd be funny, right? Yeah. And uh, what I learned is people in this industry don't have humour, um, but it's okay. Especially when it comes to these uh, sorts of things. <laughs> so I stood up there and I said, hi, um, I like holidays. New Zealand First likes holidays. But the important thing, everyone's going, what is he talking about? Where's he going with this? And the Labour, you know, yeah, um, yeah. MP, the Green MP are all sitting there like little mean girls, you know, like. Yeah. And. And I said, but the important thing about a holiday is the destination and knowing where you're going. And New Zealand, right, has a name. You know, it's New Zealand. It's not Aotearoa New Zealand. And I said, yeah. if you want to change the name of a country, that's fine, right? No have issue. A have a reference. But you have to consult the New Zealand people about it. You don't just change it at the bottom of a ministerial email or like Nanaya Mahuta at the UN recently signing this UN um, agreement um that sounds like a sandwich the um you know the uh, bb and j yeah. uh, about marine biodiversity etc you know um declaring like i'm doing this on behalf of um aotearoa new zealand well that's not our name you know and, no, and it's not and circumnavigate the democratic process that's just one very small example of it well the thing that cracks me up about the whole aotearoa thing is that it's actually a construct of a european yeah, <laughs> who made the word up and turned it into this 
motherhood and apple pie statement about the long land of the long white cloud when it's just total horse dung, the whole origin of the word. But yep. it's all been um, grasped by the agenda pushers to change the name of New Zealand to something. And, it, and it's hilarious. It, it's it's kind of like the whole trans thing, right? I always laugh uh, uproariously about it because it's the ultimate extension of the patriarchy to have men pretend to be women and now we all call them women. <laughs> and it just cracks me up that there's Rough. all these that there's all these women that are going along with it to you know to get along, yeah. and, and what they're actually doing is letting the patriarchy dominate them again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's look, it's one of those things, right? You have legitimately probably a fraction of a percent of the population that are, are dealing with these issues, and sure. New Zealand is an, is an anti people with. Um, We're a compassionate country by and large or, you know, uh, who, who are really going through it, right? Um, and um, we feel for them. But instead of helping the fraction, the very small fraction with what they're going through of percentage, um, they would rather just force 99.5% of the population to um, adjust to what these people are going through. It's kind of, it's kind of uh, strange. Um, and look at how far this has gone in other places. I mean, this is only starting here now. We're only in the beginning phases of this, and that's what people don't understand. See, I've lived in California for a long time, so I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen where this has gone, and and I've seen. I mean, right now people don't understand, but in California they just passed a bill for the governor to sign. Um, where if you as a parent, right, don't affirm your child's gender that they feel they are as a child, um, the state now has the powers to take your child from you. Yeah. This is insane territory, Cam, and we cannot have this here. And that's why New Zealand First is fighting this woke madness tooth and nail, and we are trying to let people know in this country that if you don't party vote New Zealand first and you don't get us in there, this is what's coming to you. Well, speaking of getting you in there, your uh, list ranking position is uh, number 12. Well, yes. Do you know what percentage New Zealand first needs to get to get you into Parliament? I think it's probably a fraction under 10%. It's probably around 9.5%. Yep, that's exactly right. So so at 8%, you get Erica coming in. Uh-huh. At 9%, you get Kirsten Murphy coming in. Yep. And then just shy of 10%, there's you coming in. And those are three. You, you three are what I would term freedom candidates, people that believe in bodily autonomy, uh, oh, yeah. that have fought the fought the fight on mandates, uh, have been outspoken around all of these issues. Mm. There's a real incentive for the freedom community to fall in behind New Zealand first, because at eight, nine, and just shy of ten percent, they're going to get three very good, uh, articulate freedom fighters into parliament. Oh, thank you. So, but, you know, this is really important. And and I also want to touch, too, for yourself, the entertainment industry in New Zealand has been a lock for a long time 
for the Labour Green watermelon type people. And a lot of the people in the industry are cool. very vocal advocates for the Green Party. And Robin Malcolm is one name yeah. that springs to mind. They're out there push, push, pushing. You're an exception. You're a conservative person from the entertainment industry. And you're in New Zealand first. I imagine you're getting a whole lot of people that are saying to you from the industry, what, what are you thinking, Lee? What are you doing? <laughs> Look, the thing... I, the thing is, is I went to California as a know-all liberal Kiwi, right? Who's yeah. from the world, who knows how everything should be, because I watch the news and I'm in, um, and America hasn't got a clue on anything, and you're all wrong. And I ate a lot of humble pie when I was over there, and um, I expanded my mindset, shall we say? Yeah. Um, look, I still have a heart. I I'm an actor. You know, so that's that's what I'm trained in. That's you know, where bulk of my kind of work and and expertise comes from. So you you have to be able to em- empathize with people and and understand that you know there are a lot of different truths out there, and you have mm. to you know and have a heart. And that's what I love about New Zealand First, right? So Winston Peters came from National, and our number two Shane Jones came from Labor. Yep, and um. It just shows you that, you know, New Zealand First occupies that, you know, Goldilocks zone. Um, we're the Goldilocks zone party. You know, if you don't, if you want your porridge not too hot and not too cold, you know, come and be in New Zealand First because we we don't want our assets sold, right? We yeah. don't want privatisation coming in, but also we want lower taxes. We want increased depreciation. We, we understand. We want to grow the economy. We want our exports to take off we you know we're kind of in that got like i said that goldilocks zone but in terms of the industry yes um i remember tweeting the other day you know well-known kiwi actress lucy lawless was mm. um shouting out uh you know james shaw from the green party and their you know their candy they're trying to hand out um this close to an election um and I just, you know, retweeted it. And I said, this is why I left Hollywood, because they have no clue. They absolutely have no clue. They're so detached from everyday uh, struggles of real Kiwis. And they just don't understand. They just don't get it. And a lot of them don't even like their, um, the politics of the left, but they have to go along with it. So New Zealand First is against affirmative action, Right. Um, Winston Peters spoke about this. So you look in California when the Supreme Court ruled on affirmative action for a particular high-profile university in the United States, saying that certain ethnicities can get in with a lower mark, yeah. a lower pass grade. The United States Supreme Court looked at it and said this is unconstitutional because every all men are created equal. This is this is not an example of this. Boom, struck down. Within five minutes, you had all the Hollywood movie stars on Twitter coming out saying this is racist blah 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 this and that that. it was just so fake so coordinated and um there's endless examples of this but yeah you're 100 correct it it astonishes me that and this is no disrespect to yourself but it astonishes me that people who think that people who make a living by pretending to be other people have got something credible to say about climate change, uh, world peace, almost any topic you care to imagine. But yeah. they they grab hold of these celebrities and they ask them 
what they think. And I don't think thinking actually enters into any of the <laughs> in, any of the process that goes along. The, the only thinking is what well, what will this look good to my fans or how would this you know look good to the next producer that I'm trying to impress to get a job. Pretty it's, much. It's not about any genuine held core beliefs about freedom or freedom of movement, freedom of speech, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I mean, that's one of the great things about the United States is they actually have a constitution that can be enforced. And it's a, a great pity that we don't have such a constitution in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, so, I and you there. I um, yeah, that's something that I would you know personally love to see something bolstered and ratified, and and um, you know especially with what the country's been through in the last wee while. And it's almost like oh yeah, what, where's the bit of paper? What what does it say we can and can't do? You know, and this you know. Well, you know, we've got a Bill of Rights Act, uh, but the problem was when they passed the Bill of Rights Act, it was. It's it's not a superior piece of legislation that sits above all other legislation and and everything else drives from there. It's just well, we've got these statements that explain what our bills are, what our rights are uh, in the Bill of Rights. But when it when push came to shove, the Bill of Rights Act was ignored with mandates, with vaccine passes. Uh, with you know bodily autonomy, I mean, this yeah. is the this is the amazing thing about the whole COVID thing, right? Yeah. Is that we had you know the Supreme Court stri- striking down Roe versus Wade, saying it's not it, it's got nothing to do with the Constitution. You know, see you later. That's the end of it. And all of these lovies and actors and all around the world and New Zealand mounted these huge protests, saying you know um, my body, my choice. Yeah. And at the same time, they yeah. were deriding anybody, mocking anybody who said, well, I'm not having that so-called vaccine. Uh, it's my body, my choice. And we were ridiculed. So oh, on, one, on one hand, you've got this my body, my choice, you know, liberal view when it comes to things like abortion, women's rights, and all of those sorts of things. But when it actually came to something that actually mattered, the Human Rights Commission in New Zealand was utterly silent. It took brave individuals you know, like Kirsten to be involved in in legal action to say, well, hang on a minute, people have a choice. It's in the Bill of Rights. But even the judges struck that down as well. It was ludicrous, astonishing. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, look, I respect our judges and our legal system, and but sometimes I think the judges in New Zealand are probably a little bit shy or scared of, standing up and doing the right thing they always revert back to legal precedent and they don't want to rock the boat and it's a very conservative little line they toe and i think you know justice is um sometimes not uh, a path easily most easily traveled right sometimes you have to really kind of stand up and especially in extreme circumstances like that and i just hope that we have moving forward everything that we've learned and and new zealand first can get into parliament and Put this COVID inquiry together, and then judges can, you know, feel like they can stand up and do the right thing. Um, yeah. And you know, in terms of being a hypocrite, and you know, the hypocritical Hollywood actors and what have you. Yes, they. I've always regarded myself as an actor, but also a normal person. It's uh, <laughs> a really good line there. As a normal person, and yeah. it, it's an aberration, isn't it? Because there's so many that aren't. <laughs> hundred percent. I'm a normal person that likes to act. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not, 
you know, Matt Damon, like Team America World Police, right? So I was accepted at Victoria University to do engineering my first year there and then go down to Canterbury. That was the plan. But I pulled out, da-da-da. So I'm not super stupid. But yeah, I mean, a lot of actors are the last kind of people you would ever want to take advice from. These people are, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but most of the time, these people have major drug addictions. These people uh, come from massively broken homes. Um, uh, these people, a lot of them are really toxic. They have major personal problems. And then it's quite funny. You get paid a lot of money to be on a TV show playing dress up. And all of a sudden, everyone goes to you for advice on things. And it's it's ridiculous. It and, really then, and then the narcissism kicks in. Oh, yeah. Look, it's it's human nature, right? I mean, you have people fawning and, and um, all over you and um, makeup people and wardrobe people and, and all, all these. telling you you're wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's just human nature. And I guess, you know, you, you either you either get eaten by that or you you find a way to stay real and, and um, you realize that it's not about you. It's about the people watching the show or the movie or whatever. And, and that's what you're there for. Uh, it's the same thing with politics, right? It's not about absolutely. Us. It's the same thing with politics because you know yeah. I always tell politicians when you go in there, get used to people telling you you're wonderful, right? And then look yourself in the mirror every day and tell yourself you're not, right? Because <laughs> because otherwise you're going to fall for all of the, you know, you're having ear blown up your butt basically by people um, who don't actually like you. They're just saying it to get into your good graces. But the problem with politicians is they start believing all of this. They believe their own PR. They believe what their uh, what their sycophants are telling them, and they don't stay real. And the best politicians are those who stay real. You know, they go and read widely. They take advice from many, many different people in the community. They're the ones that are more successful because they stay real. So you've probably got the best training ever of how to deal with that from your entertainment industry to go into politics and to stay real yourself. Well, it wasn't just, um, I actually fell into uh, a different industry in between acting jobs. Um, and I'd always been interested in politics and geopolitics, uh, especially, especially when you're in the United States and all of a sudden the country you're living in is involved in massive wars all over and, you know, troops are being sent in and, and all kinds of things are going on. It's like, whoa, okay, what's going on here? And I think that was a huge turning point for me where I was like, this doesn't add up here. Obama's um, administration using, you know, for example, 500 million of US taxpayer money training moderate rebels in quotation marks um, to take on Assad in Syria. And then um, once they spent 500 million of US taxpayer money training them, they all just left and they went and joined Al Qaeda. Um, and ISIS. And, and I'm thinking, hmm, that wasn't such a smart move, was it? This is kind of a big fumble. And there's many examples of that. Oh, it and goes back decades. You know, look at, at uh, Oliver North and the Iran-Contra affair. You know, yeah. um, the, the CIA has been funding and fermenting mischief and, and civil wars and, re and revolutions for decades. And, well, the whole thing about that and about Obama's presidency is um, I disagreed with many things, but you did not disagree with Obama um, if you were in Hollywood, if you were trying to 
have a horse in that race because everyone in the industry was just fawning over him and he, he could do no wrong. Mm. And that's when I realized, hang on here, you guys are full of it and this is not what's really happening. Um, and that's when I decided like, hey, I, I don't know if this really sits that well with me, um, this industry and what's being pushed. And that's when I started to kind of expand my horizon and make my own decisions on where I kind of fell politically and ideologically. But it's, yeah, it's a very, very interesting thing. I ended up working in healthcare for a long time in between acting jobs. and How well, ironic, given your, your Scotland Street uh, career. And yeah, there is a lot of drama um, in real life too. But, um, you know, during COVID in California, it was a very tough time. Um, and working on kind of the more business side of it um, and working how the, you know, uh, CDC operate, CDPH, um, and, uh, you know, all the health authorities there and what was going on with COVID. And we got it much more uh, ferociously and and sooner and for a lot longer than New Zealand did. And, yeah, it was very interesting and it was a very rare uh, position to be in as a Kiwi being at basically one of the big, big cities in the world that's really hit by this. Mm and dealing with it, right, you know, I mean, I was working with COVID patients, we were so short staffed in the hospital, I was, I was um, having to put on a face mask and N95 and all this kind of stuff and PPE up and go in and have patients cough in your face and all that kind of thing that have COVID. And that was a scary time because it was at the beginning when no one really knew how lethal this thing was or what it really was and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Now it's obviously a different world we live in regards to it and our relationship to this. But um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about that and not just, you know, um, but also the business side of it, how to, how to keep a business going, you know, um, when you're being ravaged by a pandemic, um, it's not easy. Especially when the politicians are prescribing various different solutions like lockdowns, uh, you know, mask wearing, all of those sorts of things, which we're never going to stop a respiratory uh, virus like COVID. Yeah, I mean, it just shows the panic that sets in. Um, the toilet paper and detergent and everything's flying off the shelves like no tomorrow. Um, and I would walk in there to Target and I would walk in there to, you know, these places and the supermarkets and say, so why would you let everyone come in at six o'clock in the morning and just clear out the shelves? Why don't you put so much out in the morning, so much out in the middle of the day and so much out in the evening? They didn't change their, their business practices. And they just did it all at night. They all just, okay. And, you know, and then there's more fear and people are panicking because they can't get things. And, you know, it, it, you're, you're right. Um, lockdowns were pushed back against, you know, by the California people while I was there quite severely. We got, I think, 1.8 million signatures to recall the governor, Gavin Newsom. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden the lockdowns ended. But again, it showed... You know, if you stick together and you actually, as people come together and you make your voices heard, um, you can achieve amazing things. And that's what made me go, wow, you know, um, you know, being being in that realm is 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 so rewarding and encouraging people to have a voice and to speak up. And, you know, being a part of New Zealand First, which, like you say, um, has freedom candidates like myself, Kirsten, Erica who, and really we're all freedom candidates because we all want New Zealand to be a free country. We want everyone to be able to have their their voices heard. And um, I never, ever, ever want to see again 
a bunch of detached politicians in Parliament sitting there trying to say, we're afraid to go out and speak to the people. I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. And I don't ever want to see that happen ever again in this country. Well, they were enabled by the media who were sitting alongside, you know, promulgating the lies that they told, about, yeah. you know, that there were Nazis there or there was, oh, there was nooses. Oh, oh, there was there was mean words on signs. These people were crying out for help. Yeah. And, and they were ignored by every politician currently in the parliament. Yeah, it was um it was an absolute prime example of just how detached the current lineup is and how they just don't care. They really don't care. All they care about is the process, the system, and making sure that they have a job. And um, now you're seeing some of the left-wing parties scramble around and um, trying to do everything they can. And it's, you know, it's too late now. You should have done the right thing when you had the opportunity. No, they, they, they had their chance. And they didn't. That includes the National Party and the ACT Party, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, people accuse me of being a tribal National Party person. And whilst that might have been true in the past, it's certainly not now. I could never bring myself to vote for National or ACT after their behaviour during the pandemic. Uh, and you know, mm. they were both saying that they would have done everything the same as the Labour Party did. But they would have been, but they would have been more efficient at stomping on our rights, and they would have been more effective at stomping on our rights. But they would have stomped on our rights nonetheless. You are one hundred percent correct. If anyone out there that is a normal, you know, kind of national voter, and that's the way they go, and um, if you know we need a change, we'll just you know go to the other colour. Um, you're sadly mistaken if you think that anything would have been different during COVID if we had had a national government in. Um, and you're right there, Cam, that's exactly what would have happened. Um, but a lot of people, you know, I approach and I talk to them about New Zealand First and all this kind of stuff and where they sit politically. A lot of them go, oh, no, I'm, I'm voting national and we need change. And I go, well, hang on. You know, you do realise that the two big global pieces of uh, declarations that, you know, New Zealand are signed up to, the Paris Climate Accord, right, which is strangling our economy and... and yep beating this, this uh, climate hysteria, um, and UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, were both signed by National. Yeah. John UNDRIP, Key. John Key did both. Yes, and I used to be a big fan of John Key. When I was on Shorty Street, I remember bump, literally bumped into him. Um, I walked back into him. We were at a function together, and that was when he just became Prime Minister. And I turned around and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Prime Minister. And he shook my hand, and we had a great conversation. I thought, this guy's great. Um, but then you see, when you realise, you know, what what they do and who they hang out with, and you've got John Key playing golf with Obama in Hawaii a lot. and um, Sucking up to the Chinese. And look what happened in America. China, yeah. all the businesses over there, same thing kind of thing. You know, we're not going to be the number one economy, just get over it, get used to it, right? And everyone's just going, oh, okay. Um and it's the same kind of thing here. And then you had, you know, John Key um, on the morning show a few months ago when all this kind of housing bubble was getting ready to pop and interest rates are climbing up and the cost of living starting. And you know what he said? He said in his twangy Kiwi accent, it is what it is. 
And I was like, it is what it is? Well, for someone worth like, what, $200 million? Yeah, that might be, it is what it is for you. But that's just the the most heartless comment. Um, You know, people are upside down on their mortgages. They don't know how they're going to pay them. And people are suffering. And it is what it is. They're they're upside down on their mortgages through no fault of their own. No. And you know, the, the, the government is the one that's responsible for rampant inflation in this country. Yes. So they blame it on everybody else but themselves. And but, now interest rates have gone massively up. People are the house values have plummeted. They're they're upside down. And politicians like John Key say it is what it is. Yeah. And that's exactly the same, the same display of empathy in that moment as we had in the beehive with everyone um, refusing to come out and talk to people during that protest. Mm. And um, people are realizing now that Labour and National are really, on the global issues, they are one and the same. They just have a thin veil of one is more pro-business, the other one is more pro kind of bolstering the welfare state, right? And once you peel that thin layer back, and you look on those global issues, like I explained and you explained with how they would have handled COVID and they've admitted that. And also you look at UNDRIP and the Paris Climate Accord, they're in the same, they're on the same team. It's a uni party. Yeah, I always say that one team is heads and the other team is tails on the same coin. Yes. And we and we've got into this habit, even with the advent of MMP that was supposed to reward smaller parties and and foster co- cooperation. Uh, between parties to get to a majority, we've still ended up with this right, left, heads, tails uh, kind of mentality where we go from one to the other and we actually haven't progressed anything. Um, You know, people say, oh, you know, John Key was a great prime minister. And I always say, okay, now tell me what he did. Tell me the great things that he did. (laughs) Well, look, this is what National do. Their priority isn't the people. No, their priority is to maintain the status quo uh, for the benefit of themselves to stay in power for as long as possible. That's the overriding concern of the National Party. Well, And the Labour Party's overriding concern is to undo the excesses of the National Party, put some more excesses on in place from their point of view, because they know that the National Party won't undo it because they're the party of status quo. And so we end up lurching ever further into socialism and ever further closer to uh, to communism for no benefit for the people. Well, you're you're right there, and and you know, and I'm quite proud to be calling out the Greens every time we do a meet candidates down here in Hut South when they talk about their wealth taxes and universal payments for everyone, and we all need to go do our supermarket shopping on bicycles and public transport, and and I just I just don't let them get away with it, um, and. Yeah, it's 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 scary, and you know, and you got a party like that that is um, trying to play Robin Hood, and not for the right reasons. They're trying to play Robin Hood, so they become a middleman, much like the Maori Party. You need us, otherwise, you can't um, survive in this world that is unfair. Ultimately, to you, you're a victim, and you need us. We need to be the middleman, and New Zealand First just doesn't subscribe to that victim mentality. You know, we want everyone to flourish. We don't want people like the Māori Party or the Greens to try and play Robin Hood and to take fish off wealthy people and go give fish to, you know, um, people less fortunate and say, look, see, he's got too many fish. I'll give you fish. Here's one a day. 
for the rest of my term. We understand New Zealand first. If you teach everyone to fish, we can all do well. Mm. And that's what New Zealand first wants. We want the whole country to do well, and we want hand-ups, not hand-outs. You know, New Zealand was the great egalitarian you know, paradise where Jack was as good as his master. You had people leave school with no qualifications that were able to rise up, become you know, powerful politicians, media personalities, top sports people. It didn't matter what your background was, you could succeed in this country. And I think one of the greatest lies that has ever been told to the New Zealand public is that if you just stay at school and get a qualification, and it doesn't matter what sort of qualification it is, and then when you leave school and go and do some more tertiary thing and have some of these rubbish degrees that are out there, you know, in Womble-type subjects, uh, that you're all going to be somehow better off when in actual fact, the people who are actually doing well and keeping this country going are those who left school early, went and got a trade, uh, are our tradies, our business people, um, small business owners, plumbers, electricians, builders, all of those kinds of people that make and do things with their hands. They're the greatest Kiwis that this country's ever seen, not a whole bunch of woke individuals that have studied some liberal arts degree and then graduated into politics to lecture all of us on how the world can be this wonderful place if we all just get along. Yeah, look, I I won't take any offence to that because I did study a BA at Toifakati. But um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) again, I'm a real person that likes to act. So yeah, I have a talent for it and, and, and a love for it. But my father's a builder. He's as offensive as they come so he only knows two words and they start with the letter f and 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 the letter c Mm. Uh, and my brother's a plumber and you're right you know one of my best mates left school at 15 yeah and uh basically was doing a uh you know the old school c english on of mice and men and told them to stick it where the sun don't shine and left school yep uh now he's a multi-millionaire so, you know, these this is the truth of it. You don't need to indoctrinate yourself with this kind of woke ideology and um, with your genders and pronouns at the bottom of an email and this kind of wacky world that we're starting to go into. And, you know, we want to go back to a New Zealand where anyone can go as far as they want and we just want to make it a level playing field for everybody. Um, and we want, to, we want education, not indoctrination, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's what we're finding. And some of it, you know, the funny thing is, and it's sad, it's not really funny. It's 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 funny, kind of weird rather than ha-ha. But yeah. a lot of the people pushing back on the word woke and New Zealand first stance on confronting that and also taking gender ideology out of schools for primary school kids, a lot of the people that are trying to press me on it at Meet the Candidates are teenage kids that are in school. Yeah, they're sick of it. And I stood up. Well, no, 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 no. Actually, advocate for I'm it. Pushing back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What do you mean about this? What do you mean? Da, 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 da. And it's like, and I stood up last night. I was at one, and I just said, "Look, folks, it's not the young gentleman's fault. He's a victim of this. He's had all this woke ideology rammed into his head, and now he's triggered, and now he 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 thinks that what we're saying is wrong, and 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 all the ists, you know, and." Yep. Uh, and I said, he's actually a victim, and I feel sorry for you, mate. And I explained it the best I could to him. Yeah. And, um, but, yeah, it's it's sad what's happening to our youth. They're being brainwashed. And that's why 
this current government can't win an election with adults voting, so they want to lower the age to 16, which New Zealand First is absolutely opposed to. You, I mean, know, you think about it from a, from just what we're seeing in society, right? They want 16-year-olds to vote, but but a lot of 16-year-olds can't work out whether they're Arthur or Martha. So how are they going to how are they going to learn to vote? You know, for for a party, uh, understand the policies, all of those sorts of things, or or is it just the plan that we're going to have a whole bunch of unthinking, indoctrinated people that have been infected by union woke liberal ideology by the soaking wet teachers that are that are infesting our schools? Oh uh, yeah, and it just happens by osmosis that they then become these liberal automatons that just vote Labour or Green. Hundred percent, and that's that's the only reason they're doing it. They're not trying to do it to be fair. Everything they do is about power, mm. and um, they're the most power hungry people you'll ever come across. And that's left wing politicians, and they will do whatever it takes to retain power. And um, they're vicious. They're absolutely vicious, and um, they want to indoctrinate our youth, and they want to brainwash them with all this kind of stuff, and. Um, and then go take whole classes, I would assume, you know, and all go vote together, you know, for their friends on the left. And it's sad. And I said at Grey Power the other day, this caused a lot of a lot of uproar, um, mainly from the left candidates, not the Grey Power people. They were cheering. Mm-hmm. But I said, look, maybe in your day, you know, folks, I said, you know, when in your day, 16-year-olds were a lot more switched on than the 16-year-olds today. Um, I said an example of this is you look at a car owner's manual today. Now it tells people not to drink the battery acid. I said in <laughs> day it showed you how to do a valve clearance adjustment. And I said, I think that proves my point, right? And look at all the stuff, trends with teenagers now. Now they're putting laundry detergent pods in their mouth and bursting them. And kids are having like major problems and they're all doing it to get attention on TikTok and all this mind-numbing stuff. It's just... It's just appalling. And and I just, yeah, I feel sorry for our youth today. They're just being manipulated and indoctrinated. So we want to get away from that. We, New Zealand First wants to give our kids a real fighting chance to make an impact on the world and, and, and get a real education. Yeah, that's the real shame, isn't it? The degradation of our can-do attitude in New Zealand. You know, in, in 1944, we had 18-year-olds charging off landing craft on the D-Day beaches into German machine gun nests and assaulting the beaches uh, in Normandy. Nowadays, 18-year-olds need safe spaces and uh, and need to be told how to, how to speak people's pronouns and things like that. It's just insane, but it's insidious and it creeps everywhere. You know, you mentioned earlier about these letters that, you know, have got uh, people's pronouns in the, you know, at the base of the letter or they're saying, nah, me, he, this or, or that. You know, and what do I do when I get a letter from a government agency usually in response to an OIA request or something like that, that that goes on about Namihi and Tanakwe and all of that. Well, I was born in Fiji, so I just reply to them with, um, you know, Bula Vinaka and Vinaka Vakalevu. And just watching them reply to that, it unhinges them. It's the arrogance of these government departments. We're going to do this. We're going to say these things in our emails and our correspondence because that's what we need to do to honour the treaty. But forgetting that they're interacting with people that aren't from New Zealand uh, or have a different ethnic background, but we're just being uh, having this Maori wonderfulness chucked down our throats, whether we like it or not. 
And so that's my little way of pushing back, telling them, well, I'm actually from Fiji. I call myself a Fijian. Uh, well, I don't call myself a Kiwi. Yeah. Well, look, you know, good on you for standing up to, um, you know, the wokeness, right? That's the the woke virus that's kind of trying to seep into everyone's mind. Uh, but look, further on that, and you touched on it about te reo Māori, and I, I studied te reo Māori at high school, um, school certificate, and studied it for three years, third, fourth, and fifth form, and really opened my eyes to a lot. And and I am very, very proud, and I know New Zealand First is very proud of, of Māori culture in this country. And every time I watch the All Blacks, do the hucker. It might not be the hucker that I, I want them to do, but um mm. you know, it gives me goosebumps every time. And I'm absolutely proud to call myself a Kiwi and there's nothing like it. But it's exactly what the right honorable Winston Peters said to me about Te Reo Māori. And he said to me, look, Lee, we want Te Reo Māori to be available to anyone in this country that wants to learn it. And we want to make sure the resources are there. But he said to me, you can't ram it down everyone's throat. Otherwise, what you get is you get resentment. Mm. And that's what we don't want. We don't want Kiwis who start resenting certain cultures because it's forced on them. That will do more harm than good. And now you're seeing people switch off from One News, for example, because TVNZ and One News is a prime example of forcing it down everybody's throat. And, um, and yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So it's only a few short weeks till the election. Voting has started. Uh, what's your final message to radio, reality check radio listeners that are out there about how they can change the government? Yeah, thank you, Cam. Um, look, I, I would just say to anyone listening that being on this side of the fence, um, you know, being in the political arena, you guys have so much power, the voter, more power than you realize. And it's like the Right Honorable Winston Peters says, you know, we are your servants and you are the masters. And that's how New Zealand First sees this. This is a, a very, very important election. Most people listening to your station will know this already. But I will say it's a strategic vote. I would make the case to anyone on the freedom side to Party vote New Zealand first because we have the experience, the know-how to get policies over the line. And we have a big freedom contingent in our party that wants to see this COVID inquiry go ahead, that wants to see people held accountable. And also for anyone that doesn't like national, that is learning, go look up UNDRA, go look up the Paris Climate Accord, go have a look at the record of the National Party, go look into BlackRock, go look into China wanting to come here and their Belt and Road program and what they will want from us. New Zealand First is against this. And anyone that is usually a Labour voter that can never go right wing, act or national, I would plead to you, you can have a horse in this race because Labour will be sitting in opposition and you won't have a voice. They won't be able to do anything. So if you want a horse in the race and you want to check the right wing pendulum swing and you want to protect our assets and you want uh, to protect our vulnerable and our elderly, party vote New Zealand first and we can make sure we're the handbrake for those things because the cost cuttings that are coming are going to be harsh and it's going to be it's going to be ruthless and and we're going to protect New Zealand from those. Um, and the other thing too, a lot of people that are thinking about New Zealand first or ACT, I would say, look, again, if you don't want to see our assets sold off, if you don't want to see privatisation of everything, 
and you want to retain money in this country, party vote New Zealand first. If you want to don't act or also quite far left socially, David Seymour has been on Reality Check Radio, the station, saying, well, what's wrong with Drag Queen Story Hour? What's wrong with RSC in schools? So parties like that are not just all to the right. They're actually socially quite left. So if you want to check those far left policies as well in government and you want to say, hey, this is not who we are. We want this stuff out of our primary schools. Party Vote New Zealand first. We can check both the privatisation and also this far left kind of woke ideology. We can do so much for you. And that's a, a party political broadcast there from Lee Donoghue to, <laughs> to, wind, to wind up the, I know I invited it, but, you know, um, but, you know, I wish you all the best, Lee, in the, uh, in the coming election. And uh, if, if the freedom voters can uh, see a way forward uh, for New Zealand first, and they're already over the 5%, with the extra few percent, get to 8 9 or 10%, there'll be some freedom candidates in parliament that have strong credentials there of fighting for the freedoms that uh, our listeners all enjoy. So I uh, thank you for coming on The Crunch today. It's been most enlightening, especially hearing about the liberal elite uh, controlling Hollywood and, and all the messages that, that come out of there. And I appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome, Cam. Thank you for having me on. What I find astonishing is how so many candidates feel compelled to stand in this most important of elections. I really love talking to all these candidates and Lee has a real chance, along with the other three freedom candidates, of getting into Parliament. If New Zealand first get 8%, Erica Harvey is there. At 8.8%, Kirsten Murphitt will join her. And at a bit under 10%, you can add Lee Donoghue to the list. Tell me your thoughts on what Lee had to say by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy, right here on RCR.